Chapter four of In the Footprints of the Padres by Charles Warren Stoddard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter four A Memory of Monterey. One Old Monterey? Yes, old Monterey. Yet not so very old. Old, however, inasmuch as she has been hopelessly modernized. The ancient virtue has gone out of her. She is but a monument and a memory it is the monterey of a dozen or fifteen years ago i write of and of a brief sojourn after the briefer voyage thither the voyage is the same yesterday to-day and forever it remains unchanged the voyager may judge if i am right when i say that the pacific coast or the coast of california oregon and washington is the selvage side of the american continent i believe this is evidenced in the well-rounded lines of the shore the smooth meadowlands that not infrequently lie next the sea and the comparatively few island fragments that are discoverable between alaska and mexico i made that statement in the presence of a select few on the promenade deck of a small coaster then plying between san francisco and monterey and proved it during the eight-hour passage to the seeming edification of my shipmates even the bluffs that occasionally jutted into the sea did the picturesque in a half theatrical fashion time and the elements seemed to have toyed with them and not fought with them as is the annual custom on the eastern coast of the united states flocks of sheep fed in the salt pastures by the water's edge ranch houses were perched on miniature cliffs in the midst of summer gardens that even through a powerful field-glass showed few traces of wear and tear and the climate well the sunshine was like sunshine warmed over and there was a lurking chill in the air that made our quarters in the lee of the smokestack preferable to the circular settee in the stern-sheets yes it was midsummer at heart and the comfortable midsummer ulster advertised the fact what a long lonesome coast it is erase the few evidences of life that relieve the monotonous landscape at infrequent intervals and you shall see california exactly as drake saw it more than four centuries ago or the argonaut friars saw it a century later and as the improved races will see it ages hence a little bleak and utterly uninteresting california secrets her treasures as you approach her from the sea you would scarcely suspect her wealth her lines though fine and flowing are not voluptuous and she certainly lacks colour this was also a part of our steamer talk under the lee of the smokestack and while we were talking we turned a sharp corner ran into the bay of monterey and came suddenly face to face with santa cruz ah there was richness perennial groves dazzling white cottages snowflaking them with beauty a beach with afternoon bathers and two straggling piers that had waded out into the deep water and stuck fast in the mud a stroll through santa cruz does not dissipate the enchantment usually borrowed from usurious distance and the two hours roll in the deep furrows of the bay that the pilgrim to monterey must suffer is apt to make him regard he left that pleasant port in the hope of finding something pleasanter on the dim opposite shore we re-embarked for monterey at dusk when the distant horn of the bay was totally obscured 
it is seldom more than a half-imagined point jutting out into a haze between two shades of blue stars watched over us sharp clear stars such as flare a little when the wind blows but the wind was not blowing for us showers of sparks spangled the crepe-like folds of smoke that trailed after us the engine labored in the hold and the sea heaved as it is always heaving in that wide open bay in an hour we steamed into a fog bank so dense that even the headlight of our ship was as a glowworm and from that moment until we had come within sound of voices on the undiscovered shore it was all like a voyage in the clouds whistles blew bells rang men shouted and then we listened with hungry ears a whistle answered us from shore a piercing human whistle dim lights burned through the fog we advanced with fearful caution and while voices out of the air were greeting us almost before we had got our reckoning we drifted up under a dark pier on which ghastly figures seemed to be floating to and fro bidding us all hail and then and there the freedom of the city was extended to us saturated with salt sea mist probably six times in ten the voyager approaches monterey in precisely this fashion tis true tis a pity having been hoisted up out of our ship the tide was exceeding low and the dock high having been embraced in turn by friends who had soaked for an hour and a half on that desolate pier-head for our ship was belated groping her way in the fog we were taken by the hand and led cautiously into the sand-fields that lie between the city and the sea of course our plans had all miscarried our bachelor's hall fell with a dull thud when we heard that the chief bachelor had turned benedict three days before but he was present with his bride and he knew of a haunt that would compensate us for all loss or disappointment we crossed the desert nursing a faint hope we threaded one or two wide weedy silent streets not a soul was visible though it was but nine in the evening which was not to be wondered at since the town was divided against itself the one half slept the other half still sat upon the pier making a night of it for old monterey had but one shock that betrayed it into some show of human weakness the cause was the steam navigation company the effect was a fatal fondness for tendering a public reception to all steamers arriving from foreign ports after their sometimes tempestuous passages of from eight to ten hours this ensured the inhabitants a more or less festive night about once every week to ten days with riotous laughter which sounded harsh yea sacrilegious in the sublime silence of that exceptional town we were piloted into an abysmal nook sacred to a cluster of rookeries haggard in the extreme we approached it by an improvised bridge two spans in breadth the place was buried under layers of mystery it was silent it was dark with the blackness of darkness it was like an unholy sepulchre that gave forth no sound though we beat upon its sodden door with its rusted knocker until a dog howled dismally on the hillside afar off some one admitted us at the last moment and left us standing in the pitch-dark entrance 
while he went in search of candles that apparently fled at his approach the great room was thrown open in due season and with solemnity it may have been the star chamber in the days when monterey was the capital of the youngest and most promising state in the union but it was somewhat out of date when we were ushered into it a bargain was hastily struck and we repaired to damp chambers where every sound was shared in common and nothing whatever was in the least degree private or confidential we slept at intervals but in turn so that at least one good night's rest was shared by our company at nine o'clock next morning we were still enveloped in mist but the sun was struggling with it and from my window i inspected spanish or mexican or spanish mexican california interiors sprinkled with empty tin cans but redeemed by the more picturesque debris of the early california settlement dingy tiles forlorn cypresses and a rose-bush of gigantic body and prolific bloom we breakfasted at Simono's in the inner room with its frescoes done in beer and shoe-blacking by a brace of hungry bohemians who used to frequent the place and thus settle their bill five of us sat at that uninviting board and awaited our turn while Simono hovered over a stove that was by no means equal to the occasion it was a breakfast such as one is reduced to in a mountain camp but which spoils the moment it is removed from the charmed circle of ravenous foresters we paid three prices for it but that was no consolation and it was long before we again entered the doors of one of the chief restaurants of old monterey before the thick fog lifted that morning we had scoured the town in quest of lodgings the hotels were uninviting at the washington the rooms were not so large as the demands of the landlord at the st charles a summer-house without windows save the one set in the door of each chamber we located for a brief season and exchanged the liveliest compliments with the lodgers at the extreme ends of the building a sneeze in the dead of night aroused the house and during one of the panics which were likely to follow i peremptorily departed and found shelter at last in the large square chamber of an adobe dwelling the hospitable abode of one of the first families in monterey broad verandas surrounded us on four sides the windows sunk in the thick walls had seats deep enough to hold me and my lap tablet full in the sunshine whenever it leaked through the fog two of these windows opened upon a sandy street beyond which was a tangled garden of cacti and hollyhock and sunflowers with a great wall about it but i could look over the wall and enjoy the privacy of that sweet haunt in that cloistered garden grew the obese roses of the far west that fairly burst upon their stem often did i exclaim oh for a delicate blossom whose exquisite breath savors not of the mould and whose sensitive petals are wafted down the invisible currents of the wind like a fairy flotilla beyond that garden beyond the roofs of this town stretched the yellow sand dunes and in the distance towered the mountains painted with changeful lights my other window looked down the long lonesome street to the blue bay and the faint outline of the coast range beyond it here i began to live 
here i heard the harp-like tinkle of the first piano brought to the california coast here also the guitar was touched skilfully by her grace the august lady of the house who scorned the english tongue the more eloquent and rhythmical spanish prevailed under her roof one of the members of the household was proud to recount the history of the once brilliant capital of the state and i listened by the hour to a narrative that now reads to me like a fable in the year of our lord sixteen o two when don sebastian viscano dispatched by the viceroy of mexico acting under instructions from philip the third of spain touched these shores mass was celebrated the country taken possession of in the name of the spanish king and the spot christened monterey in honor of gaspar de zuniga count of monterey viceroy of mexico in eighteen days viscano again set sail and the silence of the forest and the sea fell upon that lonely shore that silence was unbroken by the voice of the stranger for one hundred and sixty-six years then gaspar de portola governor of lower california rediscovered monterey erected a cross upon the shore and went his way in may seventeen seventy the final settlement took place the packet san antonio commanded by don juan perez came to anchor in the port which wrote the leader of the expedition to padre francisco palu is unadulterated in any degree from what it was when visited by the expedition of don sebastian viscano in sixteen o two after this the celebration of the mass the salve to our lady and a te deum the officers took possession of the country in the name of the king charles the third our lord whom god preserve we all dined together in a shady place on the beach the whole ceremony being accompanied by many volleys and salutes by the troops and vessels when the san antonio returned to mexico it left at monterey padre junipero serra and five other priests lieutenant pedro farge and thirty soldiers the settlement was at once made capital of alta california and portola appointed the first governor the presidio an enclosure about three hundred yards square containing a chapel storehouses offices residences and a barracks was the nucleus of the city but the mission was soon removed to a beautiful valley about six miles distant where there was more room better shelter from the cold west winds and an unrivalled prospect the valley is now known as carmelo a fort was built upon a little hill commanding the settlement and life began in good earnest what followed mexico threw off the spanish yoke california was henceforth subject to mexico alone the news spread vessels gathered in the harbor and enormous profits were realized on the sale and shipment of the hides of wild cattle lately roaming upon a thousand hills then came gradual changes in the government they culminated in eighteen forty six when captain mervyn at the head of two hundred and fifty men raised the stars and stripes over monterey and a proclamation was read declaring california a portion of the united states the rev walter colton once chaplain of the united states frigate congress was appointed first alcalde and the result was the erection of a stone courthouse which was long the chief ornament of the town 
and somewhat later the publication of alcalde colton's highly interesting volume entitled three years in california two in eighteen twenty nine captain robinson the author of life in california in the good old mission days wrote thus of his first sight of monterey the sun had just risen and glittering through the lofty pines that crowned the summit of the eastern hills threw its light upon the lawn beneath on our left was the presidio with its chapel dome and towering flagstaff in conspicuous elevation on the right upon a rising ground was seen the castillo or fort surmounted by some ten or a dozen cannon the intervening space between these two points was enlivened by the hundred scattered dwellings that formed the town and here and there groups of cattle grazing after breakfast g and myself went on shore on a visit to the commandant don marian estrada whose residence stood in the central part of the town in the usual route from the beach to the presidio in external appearance notwithstanding it was built of adobe brick made by the mixture of soft mud and straw moulded and dried in the sun it was not displeasing for the outer walls had been plastered and whitewashed giving it a cheerful and inviting aspect like all dwellings in the warm countries of america it was but one story in height covered with tiles and occupied in its entire premises an extensive square our don was standing at his door and as we approached he sallied forth to meet us with true castilian courtesy embraced g shook me cordially by the hand then bowed us ceremoniously into the sala here we seated ourselves upon a sofa at his right during conversation cigarritos passed freely and although thus early in the day a proffer was made of refreshments in eighteen thirty five r h dana jr the author of two years before the mast found monterey but little changed some of the cannon were unmounted but the presidio was still the centre of life on the pacific coast and the town was apparently thriving day after day the small boats plied between ship and shore and the population gave themselves up to the delights of shopping shopping was done on shipboard each ship was a storehouse of attractive and desirable merchandise and the little boats were kept busy all day long bearing customers to and fro in eighteen forty six prices were ruinously high as the alcalde was free to confess he being a citizen of the united states and a clergyman into the bargain unbleached cottons worth six cents per yard in new york brought fifty cents sixty cents seventy-five cents in old monterey cowhide shoes were ten dollars per pair the most ordinary knives and forks ten dollars per dozen poor tea three dollars per pound truck wheels seventy-five dollars per pair the revenue of these enormous imposts passed into the hands of private individuals who had placed themselves by violence or fraud at the head of the government in those days a blooded horse and a pack of cards were thought to be among the necessaries of life one of the luxuries was a rancho sixty miles in length owned by captain sutter in the valley of the sacramento native prisoners arrested for robbery and confined in the adobe jail at monterey 
clamoured for their guitars and the nights were filled with music until the rascals swung at half-mast in august eighteen forty six the californian the first newspaper established on the coast was issued by colton and semple the type and press were once the property of the franciscan friars and used by them and in the absence of the english w the compositors on the californian doubled the spanish v the journal was printed half in english and half in spanish on cigarette paper about the size of a sheet of foolscap terms three dollars per year in advance single copies twelve and one half cents each simple was a man just suited to the newspaper office he occupied he stood six feet eight inches in moccasins was dressed in buckskin and wore a foxskin cap the first jury of the alcaldian court was impaneled in september eighteen forty six justice flourished for about three years in eighteen forty nine bayard taylor wrote monterey has the appearance of a deserted town few people in the streets business suspended etc rumors of gold had excited the cupidity of the inhabitants and the capital was deserted elsewhere was metal more attractive the town never recovered from that shock it gradually declined until few save bohemian artists and italian and chinese fishermen took note of it the settlement was obsolete in my day the survivors seemed to have lost their memories and their interest in everything thrice in my early pilgrimages i asked where the presidio had stood on these occasions did the oldest inhabitant and his immediate juniors vaguely point me to three several quarters of the town i believe in my heart that the pasture in front of the old church then sacred to three cows and a calf was the cradle of civilization in the far west the original custom house there was no mistaking it for it was founded on a rock overhung the sea while the waves broke gently at its base and rows of seagulls sat solemnly on the skeletons of stranded whales scattered along the beach a captain lambert dwelt on the first floor of the building a goat fed in the large hall it bore the complexion of a stable where once the fashionable element tripped the light fantastic toe in those days the first theatre in the state was opened with brilliant success and the now long-forgotten binghams appeared in that long-forgotten drama putnam or the lion's son of seventy six the never-to-be-discourteously-mentioned years of our pioneers forty-nine and fifty were memorable eras in the thespian records of monterey says the guide-book they were indeed for lieutenant derby known to the literary world as john phoenix and squibob was one of the leading spirits of the stage but the thespian records came to an untimely end and it must be confessed that monterey no longer attempts the widely strolling player i saw her in decay the once flourishing capital the old convent was windowless and its halls half filled with hay the barracks and the calaboose inglorious ruins the blockhouse and the fort mere shadows of their former selves as for colton hall the town hall named in honour of its builder the first alcalde it is a modern-looking structure that scarcely harmonises with the picturesque adobes that surround it colton said of it 
it has been erected out of the slender proceeds of town lots the labor of the convicts taxes on liquor shops and fines on gamblers the scheme was regarded with incredulity by many but the building is finished and the citizens have assembled in it and christened it after my name which will go down to posterity with the odor of gamblers convicts and tipplers bless his heart he need not have worried himself no one seems to know or care how the building was constructed and as for the name it bears it is as savory as any the church was built in seventeen ninety four and dedicated as the parish church in eighteen thirty four when the missions were secularized and carmelo abandoned it is the most interesting structure in the town much of the furniture of the old mission is preserved here the holy vessels beaten out of solid silver rude but not unattractive paintings by nameless artists perhaps by the friars themselves landmarks of a crusade that was gloriously successful but the records of which are fading from the face of the earth doubtless the natives who had flourished under the nourishing care of the mission in its palmy days wagged their heads wittingly when the brig natalia met her fate tradition says napoleon i made his escape from elba on that brig it was by the natalia that he yar director of colonization arrived for the purpose of secularizing the missions and his scheme was soon accomplished but the winds blew and the waves rose and beat upon the little brig and laid her bones in the sands of monterey it is whispered that when the sea is still and the water clear and the tide very very low one may catch faint glimpses of the skeleton of the natalia swathed in its shroud of weeds there are two attractions in the vicinity without which i fear monterey would have ultimately passed from the memory of man these are the mission at carmelo and the druid grove at cypress point in the edge of the town there is a cross which marks the spot where padre junipero serra sang his first mass at monterey it was a desolate picture when i last saw it it stood but a few yards from the sea in a lonely hollow it was a favorite subject with the artists who found their way thither and who were wont to paint it upon the sea-shells that lay almost within reach now a marble statue of junipero serra erected by mrs leland stanford marks the spot six miles away beyond the hills above the shallow river inside of the sparkling sea is the ruin of carmelo from the cross by the shore to the church beyond the hills one reads the sacred history of the coast from alpha to omega this the most famous if not the most beautiful of all the franciscan missions has suffered the common fate in my day the roof was wanting the stone arches were crumbling one after another the walls were tufted with sun-dried grass everywhere the hand of vandalism had scrawled his initials or his name the nave of the church was crowded with neglected graves fifteen governors of the territory mingle their dust with that consecrated earth but there was never so much as a pebble to mark the spot where they lie even the saintly padre junipero who founded the mission and whose death was grimly heroic lay until recent years in an unknown tomb 
thanks to the pious efforts of the late father casanova the precious remains of junipero serra together with those of three other friars of the mission were discovered identified and honourably re-entombed from seventeen seventy to seventeen eighty four padre junipero serra entered upon the parish record all baptisms marriages and deaths these ancient volumes are carefully preserved and are substantially bound in leather the writing is bold and legible and each entry is signed fray junipero serra with an odd little flourish of the pen beneath the last entry is dated july thirty seventeen eighty four then fray francesco palu an old schoolmate of junipero serra and a brother friar records the death of his famous predecessor and with it a brief recital of his life work and the circumstances at the close of it junipero serra took the habit of the order of st francis at the age of seventeen filled distinguished positions in spain and mexico before going to california refused many tempting and flattering honors was made president of the fifteen missions of lower california long since abandoned lived to see his last mission thrive mightily and died at the age of seventy long before the fall of the crowning work of his life feeling the approach of death junipero serra confessed himself to fray palu went through the church offices for the dying joined in the hymn tantum ergo with the elevated and sonorous tones saith the chronicle the congregation hearing him intone his death chant were awed into silence so that the dying man's voice alone finished the hymn then he repaired to his cell where he passed the night in prayer the following morning he received the captain and chaplain of a spanish vessel lying in the harbour and said cheerfully he thanked god that these visitors who had traversed so much of sea and land had come to throw a little earth upon his body anon he asked for a cup of broth which he drank at the table in the refectory was then assisted to his bed where he had scarcely touched the pillow when without a murmur he expired in anticipation of his death he had ordered his own coffin to be made by the mission carpenter and his remains were at once deposited in it so precious was the memory of this man in his own day that it was with the utmost difficulty his coffin was preserved from destruction for the populace venerating even the wooden case that held the remains of their spiritual father clamoured for the smallest fragment and though a strong bodyguard watched over it until the interment a portion of his vestment was abstracted during the night one thinks of this and of the overwhelming sorrow that swept through the land when this saintly pioneer fell at the head of his legion the california mission reached the height of its prosperity forty years later when it owned eighty seven thousand six hundred head of cattle sixty thousand sheep two thousand three hundred calves one thousand eight hundred horses three hundred and sixty-five yoke of oxen much merchandise and forty thousand dollars in specie tradition hints that this money was buried when a certain piratical-looking craft was seen hovering about the coast this wealth is all gone now scattered among the people who have allowed the dear old mission to fall into sad decay 
what a beautiful church it must have been with its quaint carvings its star window that seems to have been blown out of shape in some wintry wind and all its lines hardened again in the sunshine of the long long summer with its saracenic door what memories the padres must have brought with them of spain and the moorish seal that is set upon it here we have evidence of it painfully wrought out by the hands of rude indian artisans the ancient bells have been carried away into unknown parts the owl hoots in the belfry the hills are shorn of their conventual tenements while the wind and the rain and a whole heartless company of iconoclasts have it all their own way once in the year on san carlos day mass is sung in the only habitable corner of the ruin the indians and the natives gather from all quarters and light candles among the graves and mourn and mourn and make a strange picture of the place then they go their way and the owl returns and the weeds grow ranker and every hour there is a straining among the weakened joists and a creaking and a crumbling in many a nook and corner and so the finest historical relic in the land is suffered to fall into decay or perhaps i should say that was the sorry state of carmelo in my day i am assured that every effort is now being made to restore and preserve beautiful carmelo three she was a dear old stupid town in my day she boasted but half a dozen thinly populated streets one might pass through these streets almost any day at almost any hour of the day footing it all the way from the dismantled fort on the seaside to the ancient cemetery grown to seed at the other extremity of the settlement and not meet half a score of people geese fed in the gutters and hissed as i passed by cows grazing by the wayside eyed me in grave surprise overhead the snow-white seagulls wheeled and cried peevishly and on the heights that shelter the ex-capital the pine-trees moaned and moaned and often caught and held the sea-fog among their branches when the little town was basking in the sunshine and dreaming its endless dream how did a man kill time in those days there was a studio on alvarado street it stood close to the post office in what may be generously denominated as the busiest part of the town the studio was the focus of life and hope and love some work was also supposed to be done there it was the headquarters of the idle and the hungry and the seeker after consolation in all its varied forms choice family groceries were retailed three times a day in the rear of the establishment and there we often gathered about the bohemian board to celebrate whatever our fancy painted now it was an imaginary birthday a movable feast that came to be very popular in our select artistic circle again it was the possible dare i say probable sale of a picture at a quite inconceivable price there were always occasions enough would it had been the case with the dinners the studio was the thing the studio decked with indian trophies and the bleached bones of sea-birds and land beasts and lined with studies in all colours under heaven 
here was the oft-lighted peace-pipe and orient rugs and wolf-skins for a siesta when the beach yonder was a blaze of white and blinding light that made it blessed to close one's eyes and shut out the glare and to keep one's ears open to the lulling sound of the sea here we concocted a plan it was to be kept a profound mystery even the butcher was unaware and the baker in total darkness as for the wine merchant he was as blind as a bat we were to give the banquet and ball of the season we went to the hall of our sisters scarcely kin were they but kinder never lived and their house was at our disposal we threw out the furniture we made a green bower of the adobe chamber one window that bore upon the forlorn vacuum of the main street was speedily stained the deepest and most splendid dyes from without it had a pleasing not to say refining medieval effect from within it was likened unto the illuminated page of an antique antiphonary in flames yes positively in flames a great board was laid the length of the room a kind of round table with some few unavoidable innovations such as a weak leg or two square corners and an unexpected depression in the centre of it where the folding leaves sought in vain to join from the wall depended the elaborate menu life-size and larger and at every course a cartoon in colour more appetising than the town market the emblematic owl blinked upon us from above the door invitations were hastily penned and sent forth to a select few forgive us dona joita if thy guest-card was redolent of tea or of brown soap for it was penned in the privacy of the pantry and either upon the skilla of the tea-caddy or the soapy caribdus it was sure to be dashed at last it was rare fun if i did say it from the foot of the flower-strewn table clad in an improvised toga while a gentleman in joss-like vestments carved and complimented in a single breath at the top of the bohemian board from the adjoining room came the music of hired minstrels the guitar the violin and blending voices a piping tenor and a soft spanish falsetto they chanted rhythmically to the clatter of tongues the ripple of laughter and the clash of miscellaneous cutlery an unbidden multitude gathered from the highways and the byways loitered about the vicinity patiently oh how patiently awaiting our adjournment the fandango naturally followed and it enlivened the vast bare chambers of an adjoining adobe whose walls had not echoed such revelry since the time when monterey was the chief port of the northern pacific and basked in the sunshine of a prosperous monopoly a good portion of the town was there that evening shadowy forms hovered in the arbors of the rose garden the city band appeared and rendered much pleasing music though it was rendered somewhat too vigorously that band was composed of the bone and sinew of the town oft in the daytime had i not heard the flageolet lifted its bird-like voice over the counter of the juvenile jeweller who wrought cunningly in the shimmering abalone shells during the rests in his music did not the trombone bray from beyond the meadow where the cooper could not barrel his aspiring soul 
it was the french horn at the butcher's the fife at the grocer's the cornet in the town saloon on the main street while in the edge of the town from the soot and grime of the smithy i heard at intervals the boom of the explosive drum it was thus they responded to one another on that melodious shore and with an ambitious diligence worthy of the royal conservatory there was nothing to disturb one in the land after the musical mania save the clang of the combers on the long lonely beach the cry of the seabird wheeling overhead or the occasional bang of a rifle even the narrow-gauge railway that stopped discreetly just before reaching the village broke the monotony of local life but twice in the twenty-four hours the whistle of the arriving and departing train the signal of the occasional steamer ah but for these what a sweet sad silent spot were that i used to believe that possibly some day the unbroken stillness of the wilderness might again envelop it the policy of the people invited it anything like energy or progress was discouraged in that latitude when it was discovered that the daily mail per narrow gauge was arriving regularly and usually on time it began to look like indecent haste on the part of the government agents the beauty and the chivalry that congregated at the post office seemed to find too speedy satisfaction at the general delivery window and presently the mail-bag for monterey was dropped at another village and later carted twenty miles into town the happy uncertainty of the mail's arrival caused the post office to become a kind of forum where all the grievances of the populace were turned loose and generally discussed then it seemed possible that the narrow gauge might be frowned down altogether and the locomotive warned to cease trespassing upon the green pastures of the ex-capital it even seemed possible that in course of time all aliens might require a passport and a recommendation from their last place before being permitted to enter in and enjoy the society of the authorities brooding over that slumberous village i have seen as many as six men and a boy standing upon one of the half-dozen street corners of the town watching with a surprise that bordered upon impertinence a white pilgrim from san francisco in an ulster innocently taking his way through the otherwise deserted streets the ulster was perhaps the chief object of interest i have seen three or four citizens sitting in a row on a fence like so many rooks and sitting there for hours as if waiting for something for what pray for the demented squaw who revolved about the place and slept out of doors in all weathers and muttered to herself incessantly while she went to and fro day after day seeking the rest she could not hope for this side of the grave or for Murillo, the indian impudent though harmless full of fancies and fire-water or for the return of the whale-boats with their beautiful latin sails or for the gathering of the neapolitan fishermen down under the old custom-house where they sat at evening looking off upon the bay and perchance dreaming of italy and all that enchanted coast or for the rains that poured their sudden and swift rivulets down the wooded slopes and filled the gorges that gutted some of the streets 
was it the love of nature or a belief in fatalism or sheer laziness i wonder that preserved to monterey those washouts from two to five feet in depth that were sometimes in the very middle of the streets and impassable save by an improvised bridge a single plank ah me it is an ungracious task to prick the bubble reputation had i not been dazzled with dreams of monterey from my youth up was i piqued when i then a citizen of san francisco one of the three hundred thousand when i read in the handbook of monterey these lines san francisco is not too firmly fixed to fear the competition of monterey well i may as well confess myself a false prophet the town fell into the hands of croesus and straightway lost its identity it is now a fashionable resort and likely to remain one for many years to come where now can one look for the privacy of old then if one wished to forget the world he drove through a wilderness to cypress point now tis a perpetual picnic ground and its fastnesses are threaded by a drive which is one of the features of del monte hotel life it was solemn enough of yore the gaunt trees were hung with funereal mosses they had huge elbows and shoulders and long thin arms with skeleton fingers at the end of them that bore knots that looked like heads and faces such as doré portrayed in his fantastic illustrations they were like giants transformed they are still no doubt for the tide of fashion is not likely to prevail against them they stand upon the verge of the sea where they have stood for ages defying the elements the shadows that gather under their locked branches are like caverns and dungeons and lairs the fox steals stealthily away as you grope among the roots that writhe out of the earth and strike into it again like pythons in a rage the coyote sits in the edge of the dusk and cries with a half-human cry at least he did in my dead day and here are corpse-like trees that have been naked for ages every angle of their lean grey boughs seem to imply something who will interpret these hieroglyphics blood-red sunsets flood this haunted wood there is a sound as of a deep-drawn sigh passing through it at intervals the moonlight fills it with mystery and along its rocky shore where the sea-flowers blossom and the sea-grass waves its glossy locks the soul of the poet and of the artist meet and mingle between shadowless sea and cloudless sky in the unsearchable mystery of that cypress solitude so have i seen it so would i see it again when i think on that beach at monterey the silent streets the walled unweeded gardens a wistful saturday afternoon feeling comes over me i hear again the incessant roar of the surf i see the wheeling gulls the grey sand the brown bleak meadows the empty streets the shops tenantless sometimes for the tenant is at dinner or at dominoes the other shops that are locked forever and the keys rusted away whenever i think of her i am reminded of that episode in colton's diary where he as alcalda was awakened from a deep sleep at the dead of night by a guard a novice and a slave to duty 
with no little consternation the alcalde hastened to unbar the door the guard with a respectful salute said the town sir is perfectly quiet End of chapter four